have a good time in children's church and learn lots, okay? Wonderful. Well, I have to admit to you this morning that I am a recovering news junkie. I enjoy trying to figure out what's going on in the world and trying to stay on top of it. But after all those train derailments, I just kind of gave it up. It's like, oh man, I don't want to read about another one. I was also addicted to the hokey pokey, but I finally turned myself around. But you know, it's really hard to get away from the news, isn't it? I mean, it's on the radio, it's on TV, it's on my smartphone. I mean, I open up my Google app and there's all the headlines right in front of you and it's like, oh man, it's there. And you know what? Sometimes those headlines mess with your head, don't they? They really impact you from what is going on and Sometimes I feel anxious about things. Sometimes there's things that make me upset. Sometimes there's things that make me depressed about what's going on, and I find myself becoming cynical. I can remember back in the day, for you younger people, that means a long time ago. A long time ago, I can remember a preacher saying, Read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand because you will see prophecy being fulfilled. And, you know, that's true. But when I started to read the prophecies that were being fulfilled, it's pretty scary because when you look at 2 Peter 3, it talks about in the last days there will be scoffers who come who will mock you for your beliefs. There are people who are going to come and try to dissuade you from believing in the truth. And you know, while that preacher was true, it's pretty difficult when you look at the last days and what is going to be happening because they are difficult days. But yet, as I look at the New Testament, I realize, you know what? They had difficult days as well. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, or turn in your device to Acts chapter 12. Now, if you grew up in church, and if you've been in Sunday school, you know this story very well. But we miss the first three verses of Acts 12. We end up reading the rest of the chapter and we don't spend a whole lot of time on the first couple of verses of Acts 12. It starts this way. It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Now, you talk about a tough time. Absolutely. Absolutely. King Herod was arresting people because he wanted to persecute them. Now, who was this King Herod? You know, there are many Herods. I was in a church where there were three Steves. You would, someone would say, hey Steve, and all three of us would look and answer, especially when it came to food. 
but there were three of us. And it's like, okay, well, who, who's, what, what? Let's figure out, who was this King Herod? Well, it was Herod Agrippa I. Now, he was the grandson of Herod the Great. If you know your Bible history, Herod the Great was the Herod who had all the boys killed in Bethlehem. His uncle was Herod Antipas. His sister was Herodias. Put those two names together and what do you have? Well, we find the story in Mark chapter 6 where John the Baptist said, hey, Herod Antipas, your marriage to Herodias is wrong because you took your half-brother's wife as your own wife and that is wrong. Well, Herodias didn't like that a whole lot, so what did she have done to John the Baptist? You know the story, don't you? You know, I kind of wonder what uh, their family gatherings were like. You know, so how many people did you have put to death this year? Because that seemed to be the theme of that family. Well, Herod Agrippa, the man in our true story today, was trying to build relationship with the Jewish people. He was trying to keep things calm with them because it was a time where there was a lot of upheaval. And so King Herod was trying to appease the Jewish population. So he started to arrest the Christians and put them in jail, intending to persecute them. Verse 2, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Let's land there for a little bit. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. James was one of the disciples of Jesus. Imagine the impact that it had on the church to know that one of Jesus' disciples was killed by Herod. Seeing other Christians put in jail, knowing that he was going to persecute them, imagine the impact that it had on the Christians living in Jerusalem. I am sure they were devastated in the fact that they have lost one of their own. They were devastated by the fact that, wait, this was one of Jesus' own disciples. And he's the, the brother of John. And John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But yet he was, he was killed. I'm sure they were thinking, whoa, okay, what are, what's next for us? What's going to happen to us as followers of Jesus? This was the time in which they were living in. They were fearing for their own lives. Verse 3. As any good politician would do, he's going to try to score points here. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, that is the Jewish leaders, the people who were not Christians, when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. 
This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. The festival of unleavened bread was in celebration of the Jews leaving Egypt. It was a very big festival. Verse 4, after arresting him, he had him put in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Wait a second, back up the truck here, come on. What just happened to James? And this would have been like three days, four days earlier. But it says that the, the church was earnestly praying for him. Wait, they got the news that James was killed. Why were they gathering to pray when God didn't spare James? I mean, why would they think the outcome would be different? Why would they think that God would protect Peter and not James? I mean, why didn't God even prevent James or Peter from being arrested? Come on. Those are questions we ask, don't they? Aren't they? Aren't they questions we ask? Well, God could have prevented that. Why didn't he? In fact, I heard that statement two weeks ago right out there in the lobby. Why didn't God prevent that from happening? 12-year-old boy was killed by a fallen tree, right? You heard last week. Come on. Why didn't God prevent that? Spare the parents and the family the agony? You know, sometimes life doesn't make sense, does it? Sometimes difficulties happen and we're like, what? Come on. Last Sunday, Pastor Jesse shared that there were some, there's been a number of public Christians who have denounced their faith. They have <laughs> deconstructed their faith. And Pastor Jesse asked the question is, you know, what is it that they don't believe anymore? And Pastor Jesse shared that these people no longer feel what they have felt before that things no longer made sense the way that they had made sense before. The man who was best man in my wedding told me that Jesus does, this doesn't work for me anymore. What do you do with that? You know, if God is able to do something, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he do that? One of my hobbies is driving a motor coach bus. 
Some of you heard this story at the multi-Thursday service, but I, I want to share it with everyone. I enjoy driving a 56-passenger motor coach bus because I get to meet all kinds of people. I get to travel and see things that I really wouldn't have a chance to do. So four weeks ago, I got a call, and they said, hey, could you drive a bus on a Monday? And I said, sure. I was taking a sports team, and I thought this would be a lot of fun. I get to spend the day with some college kids going they were playing softball. I thought, this would be fun. Well, it wasn't long after that, I got a text that said, hey, can I switch you to drive to Washington, D.C. for cherry blossoms and to go to the Museum of the Bible? And I said, no. Because have you ever been to Washington, D.C. during cherry blossoms? It's a zoo. I mean, there are people everywhere. I mean, there are motor coaches and cars everywhere. In fact, you have a difficult time trying to make a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn because there are so many people walking across the road. And it's like, no, there's going to be no place to park a motor coach. How many of you enjoy parallel parking a car? How about a 48-foot motor coach in downtown D.C.? It's not fun. So I had visions of driving around Washington, D.C. for five hours, six hours, because there's no parking spaces. And I had myself worked into a real tizzy. You know what that word means? I don't, I don't but it's a, it's, a, it's a, you know. Yeah, I had myself all worked up. I was kind of anxious. In fact, I was so anxious, I called Cheryl King. And I said, Cheryl, come on over. We got to talk. So Cheryl came over, and she was giving me all these pointers about driving in D.C., because it's been a long time since I've been in D.C. during cherry blossoms. So I had myself all worked up about driving to D.C. during cherry blossoms and not having a parking space. Monday morning came, I got up, and I had breakfast, and as I was turning the light off, in my dining room, it's an antique light, something shorted, and the light blue, and it's like, oh, good grief. Fine, okay, whatever. So I went out to my garage to open my garage door, and there was no lights. They didn't work. Apparently, when I blew, something blew in the dining room, it affected my garage door openers. So now I can't get out. It's like, oh, good grief. Okay, this day is starting off really good. All right, okay, now what am I going to do? Um, okay, well, I could just release the garage door, pull it up, and get out. Then I thought, Donna can't get out then. Oh, my word. Okay, well, I guess I'll climb over the hood of my van, because that's the only way to get to the electrical panel, in my black clothes, you know, my black pants and all this. I'm like, oh, this is really good. Okay, fine. So I climbed over the van, got the breaker on, was able to get out the door. All right, good. I got to the bus company. And when I got there, I noticed there was a group of people waiting. I thought, whoa, they're here early. All right, very good. So I was doing my pre-trip inspection, which every good CDL driver does. Right, Galen? You gotta do your pre-trip inspection before you take the truck out. 
Yeah, so we're walking around doing my pre-trip inspection, making sure everything is kosher and all right. And a lady comes over and says, hey, what time are you leaving? And I look at my paperwork and it says 6.50. I show her my paperwork, we're supposed to leave at 6.50. She goes, oh, my paperwork says 6.15. Oh, okay, well, um, we'll get on the way. Very good. So they get on the bus at the bus company. I'm going to my second pickup, and I get a call from the bus company owner. Hey, um, you didn't pick up the people at, at the stop. No, I got them. They're on the bus. I'm on my way to my second pickup. Oh, okay, I'll call you back. So he calls me back. Um, Steve, we messed up your paperwork. You're a half an hour behind. Oh, my word. Okay, great. So I go to my second pickup, and here's like 30, 35 people who've been waiting an extra half an hour at 7 o'clock in the morning, waiting to get on the bus. So we get on the bus, and I go to my third pickup, and we're on our way. And we get down to D.C., and guess what? It was packed. It was packed. People everywhere, buses everywhere. And every place that Cheryl told me, oh, there might be bus parking, there wasn't. Moral of the story is, don't listen to Cheryl King, okay? Um, she's on her way back from Iowa today. Um, so it's like, oh, good grief, now what? So I'm driving around trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do once I get to the Museum of the Bible? And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. In fact, I spent all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and as I'm driving down to D.C. praying, God, provide a parking spot. God, provide a parking spot. I know he could, but would he? You know, the people in the early church were praying, God, we know that you can, you can make Peter safe. You can release him from prison, but God, will you do that? The early church Christians were praying, God, would you do that? You know, it didn't make a whole lot of sense because just three or four days prior, James was killed, but yet they prayed. And it says that they prayed earnestly for Peter. You know, the thing that didn't make sense, they still believed that God could do it. They still had that faith that God could do it. Because you know what? About 15 years prior to this event, Fifteen years prior, there was a man who was crucified because he claimed to be the Messiah. They crucified Jesus. And here, it didn't make sense to get, you know what? It was the greatest thing that ever happened in the world because now we have a pathway to heaven because of his shed blood on the cross of Calvary. It didn't make sense but a whole lot of good came out of it. 
the degree that our faith is anchored in the historical event of Jesus' death and resurrection, how much we are anchored in that fact will help us and sustain us through the random, God, where are you, inexplicable valleys of life. In the times of uncertainty and questions, we can know for sure of the undeniable proof of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that everything he said and promised is true. We can hold on to that fact about Jesus. Now, the rest of the story in Acts 12, you're very familiar with. If you grew up in Sunday school, because you read that angels came, got Peter out of prison, took him to the church, and the people at first didn't believe it, but then they saw it was Peter. Peter talked to them. And then in verse 17, Peter enters the witness protection program and is gone. Verse 17 says, then he left for another place. Peter is never again mentioned in the book of Acts. He is gone. Most likely he went up to Ephesus in that region, and uh, that's where he stayed for the remainder of his life, and then possibly off to Rome. I want you to turn now to 1 Peter 1. Get to 1 Peter 1. We're going to take a look at verse 3. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, you have to understand, when Peter was writing this, this was during Nero's reign. And we know that during Nero's reign, he greatly persecuted the Christians. He was out to get them. And Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Well, you talk about an understatement. That was an understatement. Peter's reminding his fellow believers that these trials, these sufferings, they don't indicate that God is not listening, that God is not involved, that he doesn't care about what is happening. He says, no, these trials that are coming, these trials that you are facing, look at verse seven, these have come so that 
the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He said, you know, these difficulties, yeah, they're coming to prove the genuineness of your faith. It's not that God doesn't care. It's not that God doesn't, um, is not concerned with the things that concern you. No. It says, I am working in your life to make sure that you have a genuine faith. Because people are watching. People are watching how you respond. People are watching how you deal with the difficulties that you are facing. A hope that you have as a believer in Jesus, may that hope fill your heart, give you joy as you seek to live for him during these days, because it's not going to be easy. And it ties in so beautifully to Pastor Jesse's message last week when he talked about the fact of the resurrection, when he talked about the, the hope that we have because Jesus is raised from the dead, that's a fact that we can bank on. That's a fact that we know for sure happened. And because of that, as it says in 1 Peter 3, we have a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not a hope that, well, you know, maybe, you know, it's a for sure hope. We have that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that early church, there were only, in Acts 12, there were only about 15 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They knew he was alive. Many of them saw that Jesus was alive. In fact, I I love the way that Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians. He said, hey, this is the fact that we have, that Jesus is alive. In fact, he was seen by like over 500 people at one time. And you know what? Many of those people are still alive. So you can fact check me on this and talk to them. Did they see Jesus? Yeah. Folks, it's a fact that Jesus is alive. That's what we hang our hope on. That's what we cling to as Christians. Knowing that when things aren't explicable, when we can't figure out a way, we know that Jesus is alive. He is our living hope. The world is not falling apart. Not at all. The world is not falling apart. It's coming together for the return of Christ. Because prophecies are being fulfilled. And we can look forward to that day when he comes back to get us so that we can be forever with him. That's the hope that we have. When we can't figure things out, we can't explain things, when things get really messy, we can hold on to the hope of Jesus. Man, those songs today were just spot on. 
We speak the name of Jesus. Why? Because he's our hope. Jesus is our way maker. Absolutely. He's helping us as we deal with our life here, as we deal with the the troubles and the trials. He's our hope. Because someday it's going to all be better and made perfect. The world is not falling apart, friends. It's coming together for the return of Christ so that we will be forever with him. That is our hope. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, for the fact that he is alive. Thank you for the word of God that we can read these true stories and know that there are people who saw Jesus alive, many hundreds of people who saw Jesus alive and testify to the fact that we have a risen Savior. And because that the fact that Jesus is alive, what he said, what he taught, we know is true. So God, thank you for the promises that Jesus has given to us that we can rely on. Even when the world doesn't make sense, even when we can't explain things, God, thank you that we have Jesus to hold on to and that we have a hope in him. God, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.